This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Caldwell. I'm joined again by Emma Westwood, and we have a special guest presenter with us tonight, Alicia Sometimes. Oh, yay, thank you. Shall I do your bio? Let's just do, it. do it quickly. It's probably better if I just launch into it without asking. Alicia is a writer and broadcaster. You would have heard her on ABC 774 and Radio National. With Thomas. With Yeah, once a month. You're subjected to that with me. Uh, Alicia's part of the Aussie Rules football podcast, The Outer Sanctum. She's also appeared on ABC TV's Sunday Arts and ABC News Breakfast. She's passionate about science and art. And I'm guessing many Triple R listeners will know her from the breakfast as an oral Text. How many years did oral text go for, Alicia? 13. 13. So, yeah, well, Lucky 13. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> and I got to talk about films sometimes, but yep. I'm going to take over your show today and just... No, I'm not. Well, I feel, for people who don't know, <laughs> Alicia free. and I do a monthly spot in RN where we do we talk about book-to-film adaptations. Yep. And it's it's great. It's a real highlight of my, my month, uh, as, as well as the four shows of Plato's Cave I do uh, yeah, during the month. Me. Yes. It's my, my favourite time of the month as well. Yes. And I've been wanting to get you on Plato's Cave ever since because uh, you, you do know film and we always have terrific discussions over on that other station. So let's do it here. We're going to be talking about Spider-Man. Spider-Man wants more return to the big screen in Spider-Man Homecoming. We'll be discussing that in the middle of the show. And we're also going to be taking a look at the documentary Chicken People, which is about the world of competitive chicken breeding. <laughs> that Thank was a you. chicken noise. I, Did that work? Yeah, I appreciated that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but first, my life as a zucchini. This is a Swiss, a Swiss French stop motion animation. It's based on a 2002 novel. Um, it was nominated for a, for a best Academy. Uh, sorry, it was nominated for the best animated feature film award at the Oscars earlier this year. And both the original French language version and a new English language version are currently screening at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. The title refers to nine-year-old Ikea, who prefers to be known as Sakini, which is the nickname his mother gave him. But when Sakini's mother dies in an accident he blames himself for, he goes to live at an orphanage, where he slowly begins to adapt to his new family of other uh, parentless children. Now, while the animation style and character design looks like something you might associate with children's television... My Life as a Zucchini does contain some fairly heavy themes about some of the terrible things that can happen to children. It is the feature film debut for animation director Claude Barras. I, um, I caught the original French language version last year at the Melbourne International Film Festival and I've just now seen the English language version. I'm a big, big fan of this film. I'm very curious to hear what you both thought. And both versions, you said. I've, so I've seen the French language and the English language, and I can say yeah. they're both fantastic. Yeah. I, I normally prefer the original language version, as I think most of us pretentious cinephiles do, but um, <coughs> yes. that's not pretentious. It's just often no, that works source. better. The source. The source. You but the, the English language cast they've put together for this version um, is fantastic, and they, they do the characters justice. Yeah, I thought the English cl- uh, language cast was superb in this. It just seemed to fit so beautifully. The only thing that gave it away as being uh, a foreign language, not an English language film, was the, the, the little signage, you know, in the background and things like that. For the like weather. That. 
Yeah, and the weather and that, which was really sweet though. It acted as a beautiful little counterpoint. Um, I, I remember we uh, uh, reviewed on Home Entertainment The Boy and the Beast last year, which was a Japanese animation, and I, I kind of accidentally really watched the English version of that and that didn't work very well for me and I think the watching again then the the Japanese language was um, much better. Um, so I, I hats off to this because it's not easy. It's really not easy to put in um, different voice actors and create the same tone and or, or have them marry in with the characters as well as they did but and I also came to this feeling like I didn't really want to watch an animation I just didn't feel you know not in the mood for it and it totally won me over and I found it it just was one of the warm, fuzzy feeling that you get from this film. It's so beautiful. I was a bit scared it was going to be so dour from the start, um, uh, but it, 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 it didn't. It was just warm-hearted. It was beautiful. I just loved it so much, actually. Oh, I feel the same way. Nick Offerman's dulcet tones, <laughs> just he could you know, read a bedtime story and just lull you to sleep, couldn't he? <laughs> and Alan Page, it just hit the right tone and like you said, um, just such a serious subject matter and I was crying as well as laughing and I really felt carried away and I just think that um, it was just imaginative and so non-Hollywood. I mean, you must say that a lot on this show or, or words to that effect. Do you have a term for non-Hollywood? <laughs> have you guys come up with something? I think we've come up with Plato's a good generic cave? term. World yeah. cinema. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's just but do what they do with music, world cinema. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a term that's often a little bit misused or overused. That's right. But I think yeah. in this case, and I'm be curious to hear you elaborate, it's, 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 it's very accurate, I think, because I don't think you would see a Hollywood studio make an animation like this. Yeah, I think the story could have gone in so many different directions and even just uh, without giving any of the plot away, but just having the bully um, just turn out the way he did and the, the way the characters acted, it just didn't fall into a, a cookie-cutter made um, yeah. animation. It was so beautiful. And it was the, the dealing of really difficult themes. I mean, these the, the kids in it are come from abused homes and find themselves in this... Abused or neglected, yeah. Yeah, or yeah. neglected homes and find themselves all in this um, one care facility. So they're all coming from different experiences, but basically all tragic experiences. And the way that those experiences are filtered through them, like the, the kite that uh, Zucchini has, where he has a, a picture of his idea of his father and on the back... <laughs> dare I say it, a, a chicken, because there's a bit of a chicken theme going to <laughs> a, a chicken. And he said, because mum said dad likes chicks. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it really captures the innocence of, of that childhood era. Um, I, I've seen quite a bit of French animation aimed at children. Partly, I mean, very little, of it actually, very little of it actually gets released in cinemas in Australia. But but through my through my job at MIF, where I program films for, for school groups and kids, I watch a lot of European animation. And, and I think you can make the generalisation that in France and perhaps some other European cultures, they're a little bit more... Um, I think they place a bit more faith in children to deal with heavier themes and they're a little bit more less ten tending to shelter children like yeah. maybe we do in America or Australia. And I don't want to make a judgment call about one culture over another, but but this this is very French in that there are some very dark themes that are handled with an enormous amount of sensitivity. The, the, the sort of bit that really 
choke me up is when they talk about one of the girls who's very shy and withdrawn and the boy just says, her father's a creep and he's now yeah. in prison. And that straight away tells you everything you need to know about what these poor child has been through. And it's a really quite a powerful little moment. And, and again, the way the children articulate and understand why they've been left behind or, or, or why bad things have happened to them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why the character animation, which does look like something a child would draw, is really quite powerful and, and expressive. Claymation, isn't it? I is there part th- claymation at least? Yeah, the, the, I know there's marionette yeah. animators who are credited in the, in the, um, in the credits. So it, it looks like... a. Oh, this is the kind of research search we really should do before we start talking. <laughs> it, it looks like a, a type of puppetry, maybe silicon puppetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's definitely got, that stop animation. Yeah, it's got that effect. And even the, the aesthetic of it in terms of the, those characters with their, their big heavy heads and those massive wide set eyes yeah. and their little red noses and red yeah. sticky outer ears and then their, their long arms that kind of drag on the ground. Uh, it definitely has a definite aesthetic to it. It kind of reminded me of the Mark Ryden portraiture have you seen do you know his work he has those yeah alicia yeah Yeah. he has those big wide-eyed characters and it and it kind of influence it it kind of informs the innocence that idea of these you know these big wide eyes looking at the world and also what you say about articulation is so important too because that moment when he says oh that girl over there her father's a creep we're even giving it too much emphasis they say it so off the cuff and so gentle and the way they are Articulate. Um, I just thought it was beautiful. It was very poetic. Yeah. The other thing that struck me is in, I think in our culture, which we've inherited a lot of this from the English, is the orphanage is so often a place of evil and ill yep. treatment and damage. I mean, from Dickens onwards. And we even saw it yes. recently in, in, in Lion. I mean, admittedly, Lion was based on real events. But that idea of the orphanage being a bad place for children, where I think the French have a lot more faith in their government institutions. And <laughs> and I actually quite it's like lovely. the fact that they treated a modern-day orphanage as a positive space because this is a home dedicated to looking after children and the people who staff it, you know, people who work in these fields are not well paid. They don't do it because they want to get rich. They do it because they have a lot invested in, uh, you know, it means a lot to them. It's something they take very personally. So it's really refreshing to see something that's so often demonised for dramatic intent uh, reflected in a way that's probably closer to the reality of what these facilities do for for somewhat forgotten children. Now, that's a really good point to make because that's kind of usually the kind of narrative device that's used going from out of the firing frying pan into the fire sort yeah. of thing but yes this film wasn't like that and and it, it just sort of maintained its sweetness there was a beautiful little dance sequence as well <laughs> with the the and the choice of music i thought was just excellent and uh, it really worked even right through to the credits where they had this little little sort of strange little segment in the middle of the credits which I think was the actor who actually played the French actor who played Zucchini it sort of an animated version of his audition that yeah. was the that yeah. was the original so. trailer for the French film was it? which right. for the English film they've put into the credits just because oh. it's so adorable it's so, so cute, cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. snap <laughs> yeah I must admit as soon as I spotted Nick Offerman's voice in the English language version I was just so happy because he plays this really, again, a policeman who often is so much in children's 
literature often the source of ridicule yeah. or or um or, or you know some kind of bad authority you know he's a really lovely character and as soon as i heard nick offerman doing that voice i just knew Perfect. that this that this dub was going to do justice to the material and actually i wish nick offerman and i hope he does do more dramatic work yeah. because he's a really lovely presence he is and i think it was amy sadarkas who played the aunt sadaris oh. Sidaris. What am yep. I saying? Sidaris. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Was yeah. David Sidaris's sister. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Who yeah. often plays she very pl- wild characters. Yeah. yeah. Strangers with Candy. Actually, Alex will be very jealous of us because I know she's a huge fan <laughs> she of that. Is, she is. <laughs> We're talking about her. Um, but yes, she plays the kind of uh, the, an aunt who you know. There's a love interest for Al Zucchini in it, um, which is also sweet. Played out this idea of um, you know very young love, um, mm. childhood love um and i won't say what happens to them but it's very sweet well i I think we're all in agreement this is quite a striking film this really does something you don't see from a lot of children's uh in a lot of children's cinema and um and so it's screening at the australian center of the moving image it's been rated pg in australia which i think is reasonable um i I think at acme though that, that they do just advise you there are some more serious themes but yeah, I think we should stress. I think this is appropriate for younger audiences. Absolutely. I, I, agree. I, I don't want to overemphasize the dark themes because they're there, but they're handled with an amazing amount of sensitivity in a way that I would argue is often, in many ways, is more sophisticated to more adult oriented yes. cinema. I think um, also it's not the type of film that any child's going to go away from and have a nightmare about. Let's just put it that way. No, and if there's any children yeah, out call. there yeah. who have suffered any of these things, I think it's a gorgeous, embracing film. Yeah, because it's about inclusion and not being the only one, you know, and about being, you know, there are others like you. So, yeah. Oh, well said. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR-FM in Melbourne, Australia. Spider-Man Homecoming is the 16th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the first dedicated Spider-Man film in the franchise after this version of the character appeared briefly in last year's Captain America Civil War. Now, before the rights to the Spider-Man character... Before the the rights to the Spider-Man character was owned by Sony Pictures, who made their own Spider-Man films, first starring Tobey Maguire and later Andrew Garfield. And it's only recently that Sony has allowed Marvel Studios to use the character. That's, yeah, that's why it's taken okay. so long for him to All pop right. up. Yep. All right. I was wondering about that. Thank there you. There you go. I, I didn't waste my time researching that then. Good. <laughs> so this version that sees the emerging English actor Tom Holland as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, and rather than providing the obligatory uh, backstory to his origins, the character is already mostly established. So instead, the focus of this film is on Peter's awkward attempts to balance being a teenager and navigating high school with his desire to put his superhero powers to best use and become an official member of the Avengers. During all this, a new threat emerges in the form of a disgruntled blue-collar worker named Adrian Toomes, played by Michael Keaton, who is building illegal weapons from bits of salvaged alien weaponry to sell on the black market. Woohoo! Now... Who, who, do, who do we? Who, who should I pick on first? Because, um, well, yeah. uh, gee, I'm curious to know what you think, Emma. Because I know you're you, you're reluctant to go and do yes. the superhero thing. You know, I grumbled and went, I, mm, "Do I have to watch the other films too?" And I said no. Yes. And I think I think I'm responsible for us talking about Logan and Wonder Woman this year. Both of those which worked out well. Yes. Um, Has this worked out well Logan, as well? Logan, I absolutely 
loved. Um, Wonder Woman, I really enjoyed. Didn't love, but really enjoyed. This, I thought, blew everything else out of the park. Oh, really? In a good mm. way? I loved it. In a good oh. way, as opposed to blowing it out of the park in yeah. a bad way. Um. <laughs> A love fest show, a big, a big warm hug for Spider Man. Mm. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I went into it actually, sort of feeling a little tired. I went and got a big, (laughs) large coffee, and I sat there in my comfortable seat with V Max, nice big screen. Good, thank you very much. And came out, you know, got into the car and air punched and sang tunes all the way home. I enjoyed it so much. I really loved it. And you did say to me when you, because you, you kind of checked it out first and you said you like teen films, Emma. Yes, I do. Yep. And this was very much a teen film. Like we talked about Wonder Woman being a coming of age film. It's sort of an adult Sort of an of emotional age. coming of age. A more yeah. of emotional coming yep. of age. And this is very much the teen coming of age film. Um, but it was... So tight. I mean, there was a lot in this film and it rockets along at a a ripper pace, um, which I think will keep all its um, teen and young audiences on tenterhooks and on the edge of their seat. But I was so impressed, despite the fact that they look like a, um, a... you know, a kitchen full of chefs writing this film, uh, that it was so well written. Like, so tight, so punchy, so informed, and it didn't fall down in the third act and it had a very great... uh, Interesting twist. I didn't didn't see the twist coming. Yeah, nor did I. Yeah. No. Alicia, you went to this with the whole family, didn't you? That's right. I remember texting you saying, how many swears are in this? And you said, maybe a couple of S words, but that's about it. And I was like, okay, no problem. My seven and ten-year-old But how did it end with a what the... Yeah, that they loved that. that they was absolutely great. loved that. Um, without giving away the ending, um, that's not a spoiler. I just gave yeah. the last line. We yeah. went to the drive-ins, and let me just tell you, I haven't been in a while, and I certainly haven't been with kids, so you cannot see from the back seat. They weren't lying and whinging. I got in the back seat. I couldn't see a thing. So there was four of us <laughs> in the front seat, and uh, you know, not, you didn't have the old seventy-five Falcon or something because no then bench. it's a bench. Seat. <laughs> no bench, just two seats. And it was quite funny, but they loved it. I loved it. And I was expecting not very much from this because the original Sp- Spider-Mans or both Spider-Mans, I absolutely hated. I just was bored. Um, I found it. Not even the original no, Tobey Maguire ones? No, not okay. at all. I mean, not to say there's nothing likeable about them at all, but I well, I didn't. I just, I don't know. I hated them. And I think that I've always found Spider-Man such a weak character compared to Superman or Batman or Captain America. I've just found him whiny. And, and it's so funny that putting a, a teenager in that role, I found him strong and empathetic and funny and interesting and three-dimensional. And I found the supporting cast just incredible and pretty strong. quite funny. And, you know, there's some feminist uh, dialogue going on in there and and also just dealing with a little bit of racism a, a whole bunch of stuff i thought it was woke yeah <laughs> oh she used the no, evil sorry, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> i'm just toying with you but it's it's funny because we sort of on air and off air we, we we talk a lot about how identity politics is really big right now and often it seems a bit reductive the way single films are reduced yeah. to how many box boxes does it tick and and you know to what extent should filmmakers be able to express 
their own creativity and, and, and their art without constantly being chastised for not trying to keep absolutely everybody happy and should we should be looking at the industry as a whole not you know individual films and mm-hmm. and you know I remember getting really annoyed that people had to go at Tim Burton for his last film which was about um what was it about you and I discussed it Alicia on the other show we do that um <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten the name of it. The, it's a long title, but it, it was about refugee, white European refugees in World War Two, and there was some complaint that it wasn't diverse enough. And I just th- thought it's about European refugees yes. in World War Two. I mean, and it wouldn't ring true if it didn't. And, and Tim yeah. Burton makes films that are true. To him, I, yeah. anyway, I'm getting down to a funny rabbit oh, hole. Oh, Miss Peregrine's. That's the one, yes. yeah. Right, that's it. So, it, it, and it's, it's an ongoing discussion we have, but a, a film then like this comes out without looking like it's trying, ticks all those diversity boxes in a really impressive, <gasps> it, it was easy way. It's actually made me rethink, actually, a lot of how we should respond to this because this film shows how easy you can do it. You just fill the cast with a diverse range of people. I, I actually... Uh, and not to be flippant about good, it either. You know, th- th- these are good, strong characters. They, they they absolutely are. And it was kind of interesting the way it played out, the sort of nerd, jock, cool kids sort of thing. It was more like a big melting pot of sort of blurred lines that didn't sort of exist, that stereotype of who... No, you who said it so are. much better than I did. And Thank that you. Was, yep. Well, I got the word from someone... <laughs> I said woke. I'm never going to live that down. I... I sounded way too much like a white middle-aged man then than I meant to. I was hearing myself speaking going, shut up. Thank you, Emma, for they bringing this the back. They played the hop. And- <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually got this from someone who's far more informed than me, and I'll say thank you, Derek, for telling me this, but um, the character of Flash, you know, who was a character of Indian descent, not native Indian, um, was actually in the, the written um, series a a real sort of football quarterback jock. Oh, yes, I've read about this, yeah. Yeah, yep. so they they put him, and I can imagine that character being written in that way, but I love that the way that they, they made him someone who could be possibly a minority but wasn't. He was the one that was sort of calling Peter Penis Parker and, you know, hanging it on him. So yeah. it blurred those lines nicely and all the kids were kind of cool in their crazy way and it had... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to jump into the John Hughes now. It had that yes, bre- breakfast yep, club yep, feel about totally. it. Totally. And then to have, I thought at one stage I went, oh, God, this is like John Hughes on steroids. And I went, oh, no, you've, you've kind of, that's too much, Emma. And then the Ferris Bueller, Bueller's yeah, Day Off takeoff yeah, that scene was a came, good, came into play. That was a good little and nod. And I was like, ka-ching. It was a nice avert <laughs> nod to the teen film, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and in, sorry, in brackets without racism because some of the John Hughes... You know, some of the politically incorrect, different era. Different era. Well, I think this this is true to the era right now. And it's true to New York. I mean, New York is the classic melting pot city. And, um, and, you know, I think this is a good example of how to, to do that diversity without making it a film about all those different identities. Yes. I think both things are important. I think it's important to show diversity. It's also important to do films about specific identities. You just can't do all of these things at once. And I think yeah. this is a really good example of, of, of seamlessly 
reflecting the community it's set in right now in a way that that's that's positive and empowering. Absolutely beautifully in a way that didn't inform the story and did inform the story. Nicely said. Yeah. Oh, yeah, nice, I, I know what you're you talking about. You know what about. I'm talking yeah, about. Very, yes. very nicely yes. said. And yeah. it's so important that it has humour and I guess if I'm thinking about the original Spider-Man, what I didn't like is just the lack of humour in any of those superhero movies. This was I know, very funny. I know you get the ser- a couple of serious ones that are good on their own right. Um, you're not having a barrel of laughs in Logan or anything, but it's it's just important to have some laughs and I think this, you know... I think especially with this really character well. because he's a teenager. Yeah. He's a teenage boy. He does the kind of, the you know, the smart-ass talking to the people as the action sequences happen, all the funny throwaway lines. And, you know, even though the actor playing him is, is 21, that, that's not radically far away from being a, a, a teenager. Uh, so um, it's a wonderful Hollywood tradition, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it's, it's not like <laughs> Beverly Hills... I mean, they were all in their 30s, weren't they, for Beverly yes. Hills 9210. Um, Luke Perry was about 32 he, or something. He <laughs> looks the part. He convincingly feels like a, a, a teenage boy who's sort of... A, this wonderful combination of kind of reckless confidence and being completely awkward and pathetic around girls. I mean, <laughs> yes. I, 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 it was such a it was a very sweet dynamic, and I think it's it, it's a positive um, expression of uh, of a type of masculinity as well, which which you don't, don't often see in these superhero films. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I mean, the superhero film is so huge right now, but it's great to see it's evolving into really interesting cinema. It makes me very excited because yeah. I was feeling very jaded. Let's just yeah. say, yeah. I think I I came into it with that too. And I love the fourth wall too of the fact that you said the character, you know, he's in, we're in on the joke with him. He's saying all the things that we often think like, oh, you know, how did you come up with that trick? And he, yeah, I think we were with him, not against him. Yeah, absolutely. It's making it a teen film first, a superhero film almost second, I think, is yeah. the key. I mean, I yeah. think that's what worked about Wonder Woman as well. It was It's a war film merged with a superhero film. I think that it's they're breaking free of the shackles. And I, I've been kind of down on the Marvel films kind of from day one. I, I, I dismiss them all as they're good enough. Yeah. Very few of them excel, but we're starting to see them excel. And this is, I mean, the last Captain America I thought was sensational. And, and I think this one is, is really a, exceptional. We've got our obligatory Stan Lee cameo. Yeah, that the happens early, that, actually, in course. the film. The yeah. one that couldn't act. <laughs> and, and, oh, and, and hype is something really quite interesting, too, because my seven year old, who's seen probably none of the other superhero film said, oh, DC is better than Marvel. And there I said, you go. how wow. do you know that? He goes, I just know, word on the street, you know, that's what it's... <laughs> He's got his ear he to just the pavement. <laughs> and I'm like, isn't that interesting that just kids talk like that? There's, yeah, yeah. There's one thing I think that's really important to point out about this film, and that was that it doesn't have... Because superhero films are very clear-cut with bad and good, the baddies and the goodies. Yes. And this film really blurred the lines in a, in a great way. I mean, I think that the baddie, he was kind of... We could understand where he got it. And I felt like it was a little bit of a Bin Laden America message, you know, about America attacking the the enemy that they actually funded, if you know what I mean. Well, this is an idea that was in, I think, the original um, Iron Man film as well. You know, yeah, Tony Stark yeah. realises he's been funding exactly, the, yes. the enemy. And, and that's actually referenced in this film. Um, <laughs> we should say this, this works as a standalone film, but for, for those of us who have seen the entire franchise, <laughs> there are some nice references to the very early films, especially the Iron Man, the Iron I did, Man ones. I did really enjoy the first Iron Man film, I will mm. say that, and I thought that was really great. Jeff Bridges was... I love Jeff Bridges, though. But he played a 
wonderful baddie in it. And I think, you know, Michael Keaton really steps up here. I think he has a really nice character arc that he works with. Well, he, he plays a, a working class character who yeah. feels screwed off and not looked after by corporate screwed America. Off. Screwed off. <laughs> oh, screwed nice. over and um, something off, yeah. <laughs> screwed off. Um, I mean, I'm assuming this was written before the last presidential election, but, yeah, it's interesting yeah. to have a working class character who is fighting back against an injustice they feel has been done to them by corporate America. Um, unfortunately, exactly. they're fighting back in a way that's completely inappropriate and more destructive than, <laughs> yes. than, uh, than positive and, you know, anything that's going to rebuild the society. But I, I think that's a very timely villain to have. And as you said, he's, he's not necessarily the bad guy that you associate with maniacal supervillains. He's actually a lot more complex and there's a degree of sympathy with him. Mm. I kept waiting for, I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> He, he's still my favourite Batman, yeah, yeah, Michael Keaton. Did you yeah. enjoy the Captain America bits in it? They were absolutely hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. And you know, these Marvel films always do the scenes at the end of the credits. Yeah, this yes, is the first one in a long, long time where I would say it's definitely worth staying for the final scene at the absolutely. end of the credits. It's I, really, really quite funny. I couldn't funny. believe how many people actually walked out before the credits rolled. And I thought, don't you know people? Don't you know? How do people not know this now? Oh, exactly. People were driving off in yeah. my case. They were <laughs> driving off in front of me. They were queuing. Up. No, the, the scene out. at the end of the credits is quite funny in this one. It, 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 again, a bit fourth wally too, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, very good. Oh, I'm glad we all enjoyed that. Spider-Man Homecoming, so it's out absolutely everywhere right now. <laughs> You're listening to Plato's Cave. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. Chicken People is a documentary by Nicole Lucas-Hames, a documentary filmmaker who until now has mostly worked in television, from what I can tell. Her film is about the world of competitive chicken breeding and exhibiting in the US. It profiles three people in the lead-up to the annual Ohio National Poultry Show. And I get the impression that's yeah. like the chicken version of the Cannes Film Festival. It's a big deal. Westminster Dog Show. I think that's the the parallel. They there you make. go. It's, yeah. the, it's the big one. Yeah. So as well as providing detailed insights into what it takes to breed the perfect chicken in order to best impress the competition judges, uh, Chicken People also delivers the backstory of its human subjects, revealing why chicken breeding is so important to them and what has happened in their lives to make them so dedicated slash obsessed. It's interesting, this film has been widely compared to the mockumentary film Best in Show. Uh, and such a comparison suggests that Chicken People is mostly played for laughs, which mm. I don't believe no, I is don't so. the case. I don't either. No. Discuss. Mm. I think that's a very bad comparison I don't to th- make. Yeah, I, I think that undermines this film and its subjects by saying it's it's meant to be a lol fest. Absolutely. I think I can understand why people would say that, though. As in, I can understand where it recalls um, Best in Show mm. just through the fact that it is a chicken show mm. and it's yeah. a it's an animal show and, and it's that quirky obsession and, and it's yeah. quirky. But it's um, we move it's past a different, that in almost ten minutes. It's not a mockumentary. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it, a cursory look at it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, that's a that's a little odd. I was h- hoping this wasn't going to be quite as literal as it it, it suggests, and I, I found that it was. You know, chicken people, it was about chicken people. I was hoping it was something like, you know, an alternative title for David Cronenberg's Crash or something like <laughs> that's that. Right. Yeah, but no, it was about chicken people. Not that anything is wrong with chickens. In fact, they're 
absolutely fascinating. There were some beautiful chickens on show in this film. I was quite, you know, enamoured with looking at these chickens and how they actually model for the camera and they, they presented them, you know. Uh, I could see the... the I could understand the... Obs- it's, it's basically... Look, there's a lot of films that have come out around obsessive behaviours, you know, whether it's around... I don't know, Star Wars fandom or, uh, you know, wrestling fans, local one. Megan Spencer did one, Love Struck, which was a similar thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is this is not an uncommon uncommon thing. Uh, and I felt that it didn't, it didn't do anything particularly new with it. Maybe I wanted more chicken characters. Maybe I, I haven't got over Keddy yet. Uh, I, I thought that as well, watching this Keddy gave us a sense of the character of the cats. Like, I felt mm. like I got to know the cats. I didn't get that from the chickens. <laughs> I mean, one person says the chickens have a lot of character. I never got that vibe no. from watching this film. But I got to know the three human subjects really well and found their stories quite g- compelling. But, but um, two called Brian. <laughs> I didn't even pick up Both on that. Both of the guys were called Brian. I don't know mm. what that says about Brian's. Any Brian's out there? Um, you know, maybe you're into chickens. chickens. I don't know. And Shari was yeah. the, other, the other girl. And it was sort of, I think it was mainly around, a lot of them seemed to be, strangely for these characters, seemed to be kind of shackled with a lot of anxiety and that the chickens were a great release because one of the characters, remember she couldn't even go to a show that was outside the bounds of where she was used to attending. And she had a history of addiction too and, and sort did, of yeah. focusing her channels into the, the chicken breeding was part of the healing process. Yes. And, and exactly. Yeah, and, and the, the character who's a, a sort of off, 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 way off Broadway singer who was very sweet actually I took a shine to him straight away um, <laughs> talked about his loneliness and being yeah. bullied at school and how this was something he could he could claim as his own and, 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 and do and that you know, brought him closer to his parents as well even though they sort of begrudgingly <laughs> helped him what did you make of all this Alicia? I loved it and I thought it was like a short story so I got it it had me quite early when it said instead of reading a novel I get out my chicken standard and um, when one of the main protagonists or uh, talked about the beak and the wattle and and what makes a great chicken and I had chickens growing up and I remember um, quite, she is a chicken yeah, person. I think naturally <laughs> um, yeah one time uh, the chicken mother, uh, laid all these chicks and she passed away unfortunately and a, we had a duck that sat on the chickens it sounds bad this is a happy ending because the chickens thought the duck was their mother and but I just kind of beautiful. it's kind yeah. of beautiful yeah. and I think this was like a short story in that we get into these narratives of these characters and they bared so much of their life and it was so genuine which is why it's not like best in show the genuine gorgeous nature of these people and I just love the cinematography of the 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 close-up of the eye, the close-up of the beak. Um, I just thought it was beautiful that and was, I was that swept was away. It was, yeah. like the, it was like the beginning of Dexter, but not. <laughs> you know <laughs> all those close-up shots? I've anyway. never watched Dexter, but sure. Oh, but, um, okay. No, I know what you mean. Um, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the American Standard, Alicia. That's, yeah. that's like the Bible. That's of right. This, this, some guy what just wrote this. What was it called again? Can you remember the name? It was called something oh, like the, the, um, the Standard of per- Perfection or something. Yes. It didn't even yeah. have chicken in the title. It was just the standard of perfection and apparently American, chickens are, Yeah, American yeah. standard of perfection yeah, which is yeah. this, this it, book see? 
God, how old is it? It's um, so obviously people are just chickens are their world. Well, first published. Um, I'm just on Wikipedia here, but first published in 1874. There you go. And that's still the standard that all these people use to measure what is the ultimate chicken. But I found that they <laughs> got there. There's so many bumper sticker moments like po- poultry is my life yeah. and um, <laughs> chicken people are the best people. Um, there's so many bumper stickers or t-shirts, but I found these people just so genuine that I was completely in love with them. Yeah, so. That's a bit I like. Yeah, it didn't yeah. make fun of them. I don't no, think it no. made fun of them at all. That's why those comparisons to Best in Show aren't aren't appropriate. They're just not fair, are they? Those no, comparisons, no, no. Yeah. They're not not fair. I think it would have rated high, higher on my enjoyment uh, list if the I didn't if it was a slower week. Let's say because we've had a pretty good um, my life as a zucchini and um, Spider Man Homecoming are right up there for me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it wasn't a rooster because when I was four, <laughs> Mum came out. This is so Stephen King. Mum came out the front yard and a, a rooster had attacked me and all she saw was blood and these little eyes sticking out. I've still got scars all over me from a rooster, You're but joking. I don't remember it. You're oh, so there you I've go. never been attacked. I've been attacked by a swan twice. <laughs> Two separate times in my life, a swan has bit me on the ass, just <laughs> ran at me and bit me. Yeah. Did you tell her to screw off? <laughs> yeah, I should say, yeah. Right. Screw off. She said, screw off, swan. We don't like your tape around here. <laughs> Swans and geese, I can understand why you, you know... Geese, geese don't have a problem with me. It's just oh. swans in my ass and so that's going to get it's bitten. difficult. Bastards. I, I think this is ah, a sorry, film that would... I think this is a film, though, that has a... I don't think it's a really a, a run-out, I must see it, at the cinema film, but it's a film that will appeal to a lot of people. I actually have a friend who is a chicken person, mm-hmm. so um, she's got um, thousands of followers on um, Instagram for all her chicken shots... Yep. And she's an expert on rearing chickens and she writes columns for magazines. So I should be careful of what I say. She actually even has Fluffy Butt Friday on her Instagram <gasps> where it's all what? chicken, fluffy chicken butts oh. that she takes oh. the photos what, of. Where can I follow her? I'll, I'll, give, you yeah, the, you. I'll give you the handle. <laughs> so it's I mean, I wasn't blown away by this film either, but it's perfectly yeah. enjoyable. And I, I respect any film that takes something I know nothing about and presents it with this much integrity and and. and makes me understand the obsession behind it and what it takes to be a chicken breeder and to exhibit. I mean, I was never bored watching this film, even though it didn't blow my mind. And I really like the respect it gave its subjects. And I think it's it's always interesting hearing from people who are obsessed about a certain thing because I think all of us have our things that we, we get do. very yeah, obsessed of about. Course. What's of your course. thing? Yeah, well, I was trying to, well, you know, <laughs> don't put him on the spot. Or you know, seeing all the great films and you know, that's your thing. Collect, yeah. you know, sort of curating my my Blu-ray collection <laughs> and that kind of thing. And, yeah, well, I love the tension yeah. in. in well, the... So I'm a curator and not a completer, so it helps. That stops yeah, buying yeah. everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the climax when they said um, uh, she needs a better head. There was oh. a moment, you know, oh, what was going to happen? I needed to know. All oh, right, yes, you, yeah. you weren't making an innuendo joke there. No. Sorry, right, yeah. <laughs> she um, needs a better head. That's, yep. That was a line from the movie. It's like, well, where's this going to go? Yeah, yeah are they, they going to win or not? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> right. Yes. But those categories, can I just say, did you work out those chicken categories that they walk? They were lots of chicken. There was so many. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's it's a film that could have taken us through those categories in detail, and we would still be here now. I think oh. I'm, I'm kind of There's some beautiful chicken. I think, yeah, as you said, as we were, as I said, as we were coming in, <laughs> not just any cock will do. <laughs> so I think, yeah, pun. Oh God, oh, God. that hurt. That hurt. 
I'm kind of disgusted and annoyed at myself for that. Um, I think the film is good in deciding what information it dispenses. Like, mm. it moves through this stuff that will take hours to explain in detail. It, it, it's enough that it gives us a sense of how the, the world of chickening works. I like that, obviously, they filmed a lot of people and they worked yeah. out who was going to have the, the story or the three stories yeah. that they wanted yeah. to unfold. And I thought it was interesting, though, to see the other people interviewed, especially for the questions like, do you eat chicken? And, oh, that's right. And there were a lot of different responses to that, which I thought was quite interesting. There's not much in the film actually about any ethical considerations, is there? It's no, just very much just taken for granted. We, we breed these chickens as, as we like, whether the chickens are into it or not. Oh, um, but they love... The, these examples, they love their chickens. They're looking after their they chickens. Love their, they love their chickens, but do the chickens like being shown... Yeah, yeah, we and don't know. Being bred, that's like, any, that's like any kind of show animal, though. It's a bizarre thing. I it's a really it odd thing. Mm. I mean, I'm sure there's arguments for it, and I don't. I'm not against it, but I find it odd. You yeah, I, I, I was kind of hoping there may have been some moment where they do maybe talk about the ethics of, of it all. Mm. I'm mainly thinking about the whole breeding process that, you know, they, they try to they, they create the perfect chicken basically by matching up various yeah. other chickens. Yeah. Um, and that was just as a given. That's what they did. But, and they um, had to destroy some as well, remember? Yeah, there was like sort sad. of talk about destroying mm. chickens. Yeah, when they were legitimately sick though or not working out. I don't, I don't think they were... Okay. They take one... a bullet for these chickens. Oh, they all oh would, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We've ended on a slightly downer note. I know. What, what happened? It was me, me, so me, me happened. So How many eggs would you give it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I dozen eggs. <laughs> Three half and a half poached eggs. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's gross when we talk. Yeah. Ew. Three scrambled eggs. Yeah. This went horribly wrong. We were doing well tonight. <laughs> Sorry, I brought the tone down. There is no doubt about that. With your accidental innuendo. Yeah. Chicken people. I think we more or less liked it. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Tonight we've discussed my life as a zucchini. <laughs> my life as a zucchini is screening at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, courtesy of Madman Entertainment. Do check the do check rather the Chuck. Acme website at acme.net.au to see what sessions are in the original French language and what sessions are the English dub version. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming is on wide release courtesy of Sony Pictures and Chicken People is on limited release courtesy of Icon Film Distribution. You've been listening to Thomas Caldwell, Emma Westwood and our special guest presenter, Alicia, sometimes on Plato's Cave. The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. Alicia, thank you so much for coming in tonight. I love hanging out with you guys. Oh, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun in the cave. We enjoyed your your insight and your company and your backstory about raising chickens. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.